Welcome to Love Games. We're here to shine new light on the games you love and the love in your games. I'm Lauren Clinic. We have no Lucy this week, but she will be back for the next episode. A reminder on the format for Love Game shows. So each week we'll talk about a game and how they've handled love, romance or sexuality in that game. But on special episodes, we have sit down interviews and hangouts with special guests from the industry. I'm really excited about the guests that we have lined up for this week. So the guest for this week, um, I met over Twitter, I believe. I don't remember what the subject or the conversation was. Uh, She's amazing. And I was lucky enough to catch up with her face to face over some red wine and some enchiladas, maybe I think it was at GDC earlier this year. So take it away, Emily Grace Buck. How's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm lonely that we don't have Lucy this week, but I'm so excited to be chatting to you. We're on very different sides of the world, so it's been tricky tricky to schedule, but I'm so excited that you're here. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for working with me to make this work out. By the power of Grayskull. <laughs> I don't know why I just said that. Anyway, um, so so Emily is a narrative designer at Telltale. So it's one of those um, awkward situations when you're in the game industry where you're a fan of someone before you get to know them as a colleague and a friend. But <laughs> Emily's work as a narrative designer is, is amazing. I'm particularly enthusiastic about uh, the work that I became I became familiar with her narrative design work through Batman, The Enemy Within, which is the sequel to the original Telltale series. But Emily, I'm really curious to, to talk to you and to hear a little bit about what what is it like to be a narrative designer? What is the day-to-day like for you? Sure. So um, I've been working as a narrative designer at Telltale for a little over three years now. And my main job is to help create stories that the player has agency through. Um, Most of the games at Telltale, the players are making choices about what they want to do, what they want to say. And my job is to make sure that the story reflects that and that the types of choices that are coming up are what the player actually may want to do in that moment. Um, So my job is kind of halfway between a more... A stereotypical game designer and a writer. I don't write dialogue. Um, We have an amazing writing staff who does most of the work coming up with the core story and then actually writing most of the dialogue that you see in the game. Um, I do work on things like combat and puzzles and all of that, making sure that the story is continuing to be told through gameplay sequences. But a big part of my work is the branching narrative and the choices that you see in those kinds of games. Beautiful. And that's really exciting that you are in that narrative designer role because Telltale is so known for that player-driven, choice-based design. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really exciting. So I'm very curious, um, as a narrative designer, when you're sitting down for your team meetings, which depart- are there, is there kind of like a standard team of departments that a narrative designer usually interfaces with? Yeah, so... At Telltale, we start very story first, and that was the case um, on other games I've worked on as well outside of Telltale, which is kind of (laughs) incredible. The writers and the narrative designers work together to come up with a story that the game will work around. But during my day, I work mostly with writers and other narrative designers, but with programmers, (laughs) with UI, with our cinematic artists very heavily. Um, It's all a team effort to make the stories that you see come to life. 
That is beautiful. And so, of course, I think you and I have bonded and we're absolutely chatting on this podcast in particular because we're really passionate about love and romance and sexuality and relationships in games. So for yourself, you know, as a consumer and as a fan, would you be able to share a formative in-game relationship that you've experienced that's really stayed with you? Sure, absolutely. So for me, actually, relationships and games are one of the main things that keeps me playing them. Games that don't allow you to form strong bonds with NPCs tend to interest me a lot less than ones where you can get to know the characters in the game. Um, and for me, I played a lot of games growing up, but mostly uh, computer games. I didn't have any video game systems growing up. My parents really weren't into that. Um, they kind of believed it was a boy thing. It was one of those. Um, but so I played a lot of adventure games and a lot of visual novels growing up. Um, and then after I graduated from college, bought myself an Xbox 360, which I thought was extremely fancy and a huge deal at the time. Um, and I got Dragon Age Origins. And I had never seen a game of that scope that had any kind of romance content in it before. I was unfamiliar mm -hmm. with Bioware's other games at this point. Um, I've gone back and played the whole back catalog now, but um, at the time, <laughs> I didn't really know what they had been working on. And the first moment that Alistair flirted with me, I was completely mm -hmm. floored. <laughs> I instantly paused the game and went to fanfiction.net to see if this was like a real thing <laughs> that the game was going to allow me to do. And um, much to my happiness, it was. And of course, he's not the only romance option in that game either, but he was mm. the first one of the romanceful characters that you met and got to flirt with. And that really stayed with me. And I did end up romancing him on my first playthrough and then writing a lot of fanfiction of my own about it. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh my gosh, Emily, does the fanfic still exist? Oh God, probably somewhere. <laughs> don't go looking for it. It's <laughs> okay. You don't have to incriminate yourself. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> so talking about writing fanfic is a really good segue to chatting about your telltale work on Batman, the enemy within. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. fan, fan moment for me. Um, I really, really enjoyed the first um, Batman series um, out of, from telltale because there is a couple of really good scenes, really compelling sequences with Batman and Catwoman where for me, uh, the way that that game was treating their relationship was very mature. They were still very much the characters that I understood from the canon, but it was quite a vulnerable look at them. And it was quite an honest look, uh, in my opinion, at how, you know, how these two damaged people might try and interact with each other. And it's a bit, you know, it's a bit sexy. What's going to happen? There's genuine tension. There's a very, very hot scene on a couch that I'm always yelling about <laughs> and recommending people check out. Um, but what was it like to sort of do narrative design for pre-existing characters that, you know, come from an existing IP that you had to draw from? Was there a lot of study involved? Was there a lot of approval that you had to get? Yes and yes. <laughs> um, so mm -hmm. first of all, getting to work on romance content with 
characters who have been around for a while is fantastic. Mm. Getting to narrative design at all for characters who have been around for a while is great because you have so many different versions of them to look to for the types of themes mm. that you can explore with them. Um, mm. And especially in the case of Batman and Catwoman for that game, I was looking for where are the holes in what we've seen of <laughs> Batman and Catwoman? Mm. What kinds mm. of scenes would I, as a person who is a big fan of Batman, because I am, um, I've loved Batman since I was mm. a little kid, want to see from those characters? And even more than what would I want to see, what would I want to have control over? Um, and where would I mm. like to have control taken away from me? <laughs> so that was a wonderful process. Um, their romance scene in that episode and then their arc through the rest of that season was um, my pitch initially and I was the lead designer on that episode and I personally designed that whole scene and sequence in her apartment. Um, oh, so good. Which was <laughs> a blast. I'll be honest, uh, it was one of those where I, I assigned it to myself because I was the lead designer on the episode <laughs> and then I just kind of sat and thought about it for nearly a week, like barely writing anything down, just going, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, I'm actually <laughs> planning to try and design like a sex scene between Batman and Catwoman. Holy crap. Um, mm. And then at, I think, 11 p.m. on Thursday, I was still in the office that night because I was just like, oh, now I have to do this. Um, not because I was being, <laughs> you know, mandated to be there or anything, just because I, I knew I had to get my own work done. And then I did the entire first draft in like two hours. And it's amazing how much of that That's ended awesome. up sticking just because like, by that point, I had immersed myself enough in who those characters were that I had a pretty good idea of how they would be able to relate to one another across that scene. And I was lucky enough to have a writer, uh, Nicole Martinez was the lead writer on that episode, and she wrote that scene. Um, and then a production team who supported a large number of different branching options throughout that scene and a bunch of ways that that romance could end. And DC was mm. great about that, too. They were excited that we were doing the scene. Um, as always, when you're working with intellectual property partners, they had notes and ideas on things that they wanted to mm. see and didn't want to see. But that's normal. And honestly, a lot of the time I appreciate that because that gives you a box to work mm. within. But um, mm. DC were great to work with. Um, I mean, you've played both seasons of Telltale's Batman mm. games. We were able to flip canon on its head constantly mm. um, and they were extremely mm. not just tolerant of that but excited it was great <laughs> really good experience that is so fantastic yeah yeah I feel like um when it comes to sort of telltale games but very good choice driven character narrative game experiences so for example with the the batman catwoman relationship it was very exciting for me because it genuinely felt like a sequence that i could screw up mm -hmm. there wasn't obvious correct answers it felt like catwoman had a lot of agency um and it's very valid for that scene to not end in sex as well um you know there's i remember there's a bit of a consent moment as well and i think because mm -hmm. telltale has this 
player-driven choice uh, as a really strong value and theme. It's valid whether you do want it to go ahead, whether you don't want it to go ahead. It's valid for things to play out several ways. And I find that a lot more satisfying than romance content in games where it's obvious what I have to do and I can just kind of sit back and click through to just consume the content. I was sweating bullets and that tension was like... (laughs) Very, very sexy. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, we had a lot of internal Serious discussions um, as I was working up to designing that scene um, about mm. games where the romance took off without the player feeling like they completely bought in. Um, and also games where mm. it felt like the NPC hadn't completely bought in to what was going on. Mm. And um, Which is luckily, <laughs> yeah, that's neither one of those is a good situation. Um, <laughs> you leave the player feeling icky. Either way, and mm. if, especially mm. if you're doing a scene like that one, um, where it's two mature adults who, whether or not they're in love, is questionable. <laughs> Certainly in that game, mm-hmm. but they have the um, ability to have a sexual encounter tied to the fact that they have some mm. kind of connection. They mm. don't have a huge built-up history in that game yet. So Mm. making it really clear that both of those characters wanted it if you were moving forward was extremely important to me. Mm. That's fantastic. And so with the second series, Batman, the enemy within Mm -hmm. Catwoman is still present Mm -hmm. and there's still callbacks to the first season and you can discuss the relationship with her and she's still an important character in that season. But I think most people would say that the primary relationship in that season would be the relationship with Batman and Joker, which, again, is a really different kind of relationship, again, a very different kind of history. And it's a history where a lot of the fandom, you know, ship them. Mm -hmm. Um, They want to see romantic or sexual tension between these characters playing Batman, the enemy within. There is there is some subtext. There is some tension there that makes those fans really excited because it's the the way that that series plays feels like an acknowledgement of how intoxicating and compelling the Batman Joker relationship is Mm -hmm. so I wanted to chat a little bit about your thoughts as a narrative designer approaching that relationship and how to play with the really compelling parts of that relationship but also managing the uh you know like the the shippers the fangirls that wanted it to to go further <laughs> mm-hmm. oh totally so um first of all i'll say we actually introduced our version of the joker um his name is john doe in the mm. first season and our version of the joker john doe is mm. we we referred to him around the studio as the proto joker he hasn't done anything yet <laughs> he's a young guy who was in arkham Because he, I guess, just wandered in there one day. And he's a bit off for sure. But you've never seen him kill anyone. You've barely seen him hurt anybody. Even in the scenes where the other villains are committing atrocities, he's kind of on the sidelines just being a goof. So the player knows, like, this looks like the Joker. This sounds like the Joker. I understand that this is the Joker. He's got a similar sense of humor to other Jokers I've seen. But they don't have that confirmation of where he's going to go. Mm. And so we leaned on that relationship between the two of them and that very close friendship and caring Mm. and mutual respect that those two characters have for one another 
to build pretty much all of the choices in that season off of. That season is the story of the relationship between Batman and the Joker, and we let you have control mm. over that because that is one of the most compelling things about being Batman. And since our main mechanic is talking and having conversations with people and changing those relationships, it seemed like a no-brainer to try and go in that direction with it. And Fantastic. Yeah, we know that their relationship has been shipped over time. We know that a lot of people <laughs> write fan fiction about them, um, and we know that a lot of people probably saw the way that they were portrayed in our game as overtly romantic. And we didn't want to lean away from them. We intentionally left that relationship open to the player's point of view. We didn't want mm. to ever completely say they are a romantic couple, and we didn't ever want to completely say they aren't. They're two mm. people who care about one another immensely, and due to some of the world that they're in, the possibility of them ever pursuing, you know, like a family or something like that together is completely out of the question. <laughs> like, so there was no way for us to go there, but um, mm. we didn't want to devalue the fact that two men can have deep relationships that aren't necessarily romantic or sexual either. Because I think that's all, just all as important. Yeah, healthy. exactly. Um, I think that's just <laughs> as important of a relationship to explore as romantic relationships between men. But mm. and we've talked about this uh, with Game Informer too. Internally, we talked about their relationship as a romance, and the last couple episodes as their breakup. Mm. Wow. We mm. absolutely patterned it after that type of a relationship. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. And so for me, it was, it felt so bold. It's like, wow, they're really, they're really letting that, they're really letting that hang out there. They're really letting that question sit. And it is obvious that these two men are, you know, really kind of obsessed with each other, really care about each other. It's yeah. really messed up. You can kind of interpret that how you want to. Uh, and to me, that was really exciting. It's an acknowledgement of a different kind of relationship again, or, saying that the relationship between hero and villain or mm -hmm. person who is not yet villain can can go differently or have a different tone to it, have a different palette, which is fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, that was an overall theme of the game, too. At the end of every episode mm. in um, Telltale Games for, I mean, since way before I started at the company, they've shown you, you know, your big choices and the percentages. But in that series, um, and it was our lead designer, uh, Michael Kirkbride's idea, um, we had relationship screens with each of the main mm. characters in each episode to show you how you'd changed the needle on your relationship with them at multiple points during those few hours of gameplay. Um, so we were trying to show how everything you were doing impacted all of the characters around you, not just John, at every point, mm. and also how Fantastic. those related to one another. Mm. So good. Fantastic. And so for yourself as a narrative designer, I feel like so much of your design work will come from these interpersonal moments mm -hmm. and the conversational moments and the opportunities for change and growth within relationships. 
what kind of media do you like to consume to sort of study or inspire yourself? Do you go within games and outside of games to kind of get some inspiration? Yeah, both. Um, I think it's important. So romance and games is my personal main focus as a, not just a narrative designer, but as a game designer, it's something that I'm Mm. obsessed with. I love seeing how we can portray any kind of relationship, not just romantic ones. I love finding ways to help the player learn about relationships that they might not have in their real life or experiment within a game to learn how doing different things might affect relationships. When someone finishes playing a game that I've worked on, I want them to be better equipped to go out into the world and empathize with others. That's Mm. extremely important to me. So for me, I like looking at what other games are doing so that I can learn from what works and what I think doesn't work as much as humanly possible. Um, Mm. But I also look at romance content and relationship content from film, from TV, from books, and a lot from fan fiction, to be perfectly honest, because I think mm-hmm. fan fiction is where we see a lot of wish fulfillment from the audience, mm. which helps to understand, like, especially with fan fiction about film and TV, there is no interaction between those characters mm. that the fans can control. So in their fan fiction, you can see, like, especially because so many fanfics start out with a scene that was in that type of media and then Mm. veer in a different direction. To me, that looks a lot like a choice moment that we have in a game. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Mm. if you could do what actually happened in the television show or you could do something else, things like fanfiction illuminate where those moments are for me. I completely agree with you. I feel like in games games are often there's often the opportunity to actively participate Mm -hmm. there are some games and some romantic content in games that are very passive Mm -hmm. so it's just a kinetic novel and you're clicking through and this isn't a straight criticism of that but i think when you are able to actively participate actively express yourself in the game experience like when you've got uh, a dragon age title or mass effect or you know just other games telltale games that you're able to express yourself Uh, I think that and that being active really does have that transformative opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we see that the inclusion of same-sex relationships and options and things in games, like in Dragon Age titles, means so much because maybe sometimes for the first time someone can choose to pursue that kind of relationship. Does that mean something about their own sexuality? Not necessarily, but they can choose it and they can value it. And that's really different to other types of media. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it (laughs) allows people, yeah, to see things that are outside of their own purview in life, um, Mm -hmm. understand different types of people. And I think there is equal validity in romances that are passive in games and romances Mm -hmm. that are active as long as the player understands how that's functioning. Um, But Mm -hmm. I do think, especially with the rise of branching narrative and storytelling being of incredible importance in games, we're going to see more and more control over that aspect of the gameplay we already have. And I think that's great. (laughs) And so that's a really, really interesting point to say that that kind of control and that player agency 
perhaps being an increasing trend when it comes to love, sex and romance in games. Are there other sort of trends or uh, are there changes that you are seeing in the industry around these topics? So the main thing I'm seeing in the industry is the inclusion of them. (laughs) Um, Mm. More games have romance options that have some sort of interactivity than before. Um, And also there just are more games being released than ever before. And especially in the romance realm, if you look at mobile games, the number of mobile games with romance content where the player has some amount of control over the story is just skyrocketing, especially with platforms like Mm -hmm. Episode and Choices. And they're doing some really good and interesting work providing stories where you have control over your romance options. Um, Sometimes it's kooky Sometimes it's wacky, sometimes it's extremely serious, and I think there's a place for all of that, and the more people who are doing it, the better it's going to get. And I I also, I'm a big fan of a lot of those mobile titles because they're targeting an audience I care about deeply personally, which is uh, women. (laughs) Um, Mm. Because as much as I love making Telltale games, and I love making romance content in them, um, I do know that the majority of my audience is going to be male. And that influences how I look at what I'm making, because I know who's going to be playing it, and that's not a bad thing. But um, especially, once again, if you look back at fan fiction, you look at like who stereotypically buys romance novels, it is, it is women. So trying to think mm. of making content that's tailored to that target audience is really interesting to me. And being able to design for something that's saying they're coming for the romance, yeah. for example, because, you know, in a Batman title, it's like you can be the Batman and mm-hmm. that might be the major draw for a lot of your players. But if you're able to work on something or build something that it's like you're coming for the romance yeah, <laughs> and that's really overt, I think that would be a very different experience. Mm-hmm. And I've never made anything like that, but I have incredible respect mm-hmm. for people who do. Beautiful. The future is bright, Emily. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) And I'm the target demographic, so I will eat all of it up. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because we've talked a bit about how there is an increasing amount of romantic content or romance-oriented games. Uh, I remember, you know, for us being of a similar age when we were younger, if we wanted any romantic content, it was very rare. You know, it might be Mm -hmm. like a minor feature in Harvest Moon or something. (laughs) And so, you know, if you could get a romance game or a game that had romantic content, I feel like we often did weird things to get it or we tried to learn where we could have romantic experiences. Or for me, it was like, where can I experience sex in games? And then went to bad places on the internet because that was really interesting. Yeah. It was super interesting. I think all of us have done some weird things to experience relationship or romance content. But do you have any bizarre stories, Emily? <laughs> um, sure. So, I mean, I, I'm definitely a person who, when the romances I wished were in games didn't exist... I have written my own fan fiction or in some crazy circumstances tried to make my own mods to try and get that into the game. But for me, and this is a pretty early example, I don't know if you're familiar with the studio um, Purple Moon that made uh, visual novel type games for girls in the late 90s through early 2000s. 
Um, I've probably seen or experienced some of their games. The name rings a bell. I was like <laughs> obsessed with them in early high school. And one of their series that they had out was called uh, Rocket. And Rocket was oh. a high school girl with red hair who was navigating different high school social situations in the game. It had an educational element to it um, that was mm. supposed to you know, help teenage girls learn what to do if you have to go to the cool kid party or the nerd party, or if someone offers you a drink, what are you going to do? And how are you going to like responsibly handle situations like that? Um, and in that game, they had characters who were boys that you could flirt with and characters who were your female friends who you either got along with or had like frenemy type relationships with. Um, and who you decided you were close to was a big part of how you determined like which parties you were going to go to and what social events you were going to be in. And then there was this one character. Um, I, I don't even remember her name right now. I probably should have looked it up before we recorded this. Um, but she was like the main popular girl frenemy. But the way these two characters were written, they had like an unbelievable amount of sexual tension. And yeah, Amazing. it was incredible because they're supposed to be like high school sophomores. And my little um, bisexual self in high school was like, is this really happening? Can I do this in this game? And the answer was no, you can't. But um, I researched it a lot. And lucky for me, too, the um, CD-ROMs of the games came with action figures. And eventually I got both a rocket and this friend of me. <laughs> Bad girl. Um, and my other favorite thing to do back then was take little videos of, like, my toys in stories that I was making up and narrating as it went. And I totally, like, wrote my own little goofy story between the two of them where they actually got together at the costume party once they got drunk. And <laughs> it was um, just, like, a, a very ridiculous, fun play moment as a you know teenage girl but I, I wished that had been there so yeah once again like calling attention to some of the mobile titles and then also some of the games coming out this year that have relationships between teenage girls it, it's so exciting mm. to see that that's happening now because I craved that back then mm, and it, it wasn't there yes and for me, that was a huge part of Life is Strange and Life is Strange Before the Storm. Yeah. Because those games acknowledge that that, you know, sexual tension or romantic tension between teenage girls is valid. Yeah. And is something that exists and you don't need to go underground to make <laughs> mm-hmm. furtive fanfic kind of thing. Like, no, literally, this is the way things can go between people sometimes. Um, and, and that's, that's a really valid thing. And that's why those kind of games like totally make me cry because Mm -hmm. that feels really, really different, which ties into me wanting to ask Emily, what do you hope for the future of love, sex and romance in games? So I think first of all, um, on that note, romances that are not cis straight romances treated as extremely normal and not gimmicky is a big Mm. one for me. Um, And a lot of inroads have been made for that in the past few years, and I'm excited to see where that keeps going. Um, 
Especially, I love characters that aren't just player sexual. I, I mean, I think that's valid, especially as a person who does identify as bisexual. But um, mm. when every character in a game is, that starts to devalue it for me. <laughs> um, because then you're not actually taking a stand for that sexuality. You're just catering mm. to the person playing the game. Another thing that I would love to see a lot more of is relationships post the first kiss or post the first time mm. they have sex. Because in yes. a lot of games, you have to do all of the right things or go down the correct path to get someone to notice you or to fill up their romance bar. And then you get to kiss them. And then maybe before the final fight, you get to bang them. And it's all very exciting. And maybe they come <laughs> back in the next game and remind you they exist. And you go through the whole process again. <laughs> um, but I, I'd love to see more games handle relationships that have been going on for a while. Relationships where there are children involved. Relationships where there are more than two adults involved. I, I've never seen a game tackle, and maybe there are ones out there and I've just never seen them, but really mature adult open relationships. Mm. Relationships that are ending. There's yes. incredible power in a relationship falling apart. Gosh, mm. I mean, Florence did an incredible job with some of this earlier this year, um, but especially, yes. I'd love to see some of these things in AAA titles. I'd say some of the mm. closest that I've seen would be, um, I, I really loved The Witcher 3 and the relationship between Geralt and Yennefer who had you know, been together for years and raised a child and now have the potential to rekindle that and see if they mm. were really meant for one another or if they were just cursed to be together. That was really interesting to me because I hadn't seen anyone do anything quite like that before. It felt very mature in a way that games mm. don't often handle relationships. Definitely. And relationships where you had sex and the sex was bad or, yeah. you know, you both mutually had a crush and it fizzled out, you know, like there's just so much more potential than a linear romantic get together. Everything's awesome. They're beautiful. Let's go save the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because the hard work happens after that, right? So there's, there's so much to unpack and there's so much to explore there. Yeah. There are so many deep moments in relationships in just the little minutia of the day mm. to where you have choices to make. Um, like I was talking to a friend the other day, like, could you imagine a game where you, that this isn't something I'm working on. So here, I'll throw this to the universe. Somebody build this and let me play it if you do it. Um, where you, you know, sleep with someone you've been wanting for a long time, but their home's still full of their ex's things. Mm. And you, like, go to take a shower. Do you use their shampoo or do you use their ex's shampoo? What do you do? Mm. Like, mm. things things like that. Oh, and I those kind of moments <laughs> in your life are heart-wrenching and real. And huge choices with incredible stakes um they're a good place for gameplay and i i hope things like that are seen more in the next couple mm. of years yeah no apocalypse needed no world saving needed no um i think <laughs> yeah especially when you have characters who are larger than life and um not to shoot my own horn but i think that's part of why the batman catwoman moment works mm. too is we had this opt-in sex scene that gets pretty sexy and voyeuristic if you decide mm. you want to go for it, which was intentional. Like, that's who those characters are. They're going to, you know, 
have a fun time with it. And that's very on IP um, for them. Uh, we have you wake up and then walk around your walk around Catwoman's apartment in your underwear and make yourself a bagel. <laughs> and I, I was really excited about doing that with Batman because like we're so used to seeing a version of Batman where, you know, Alfred is catering to his every need. Um, or if you go even further with it, like the Lego Batman version where he only eats lobster. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, he's like an early 30s dude who does need breakfast, <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, and when you can bring characters back to those kind of moments, it makes them instantly much more relatable and much more lovable. Mm. Um, especially when they're your agree. player character, because you're like, I can't believe I have to do this as them. Oh, <laughs> everybody eats breakfast. <laughs> everybody yeah. does eat breakfast. Everybody has a morning after if they've fallen into bed with someone. Exactly. And it, it, can be, it can be a bit funny and domestic. So just quickly, Emily, what are some underrated games that explore these kind of themes that you wish more people would play? Um, so one of my favorite romance games, um, this one's from a couple of years ago, is called Regency Love. Oh, yes. Um, I love that game. It's beautiful. It's a uh, Regency dating simulator where you play a young woman exploring around town and getting to know everyone who lives in the town and then romancing one of the gentlemen who lives there. And there's a mechanic in it too, where you have to answer trivia questions about that time period. <laughs> so I played the game about a year and a half ago and I really liked it. And I pursued this one suitor who, I, I mean, I actually personally had to be like on my intellectual game to be able to woo this guy because he was real smart and he was snooty about it um but then he had this like really dark and chilling backstory and like side quest that I had to help him with where it was like orphans and it, it just it got really deep and dark and I found out all of these things about his previous relationships that um although that's not probably the type of person I would ever pursue in real life, it was fascinating that the game chose to do that and then made it available to me. And I'm now talking up that game again because I convinced my Grammy who is in her 80s to play it. That is Which awesome. is extremely important to me. So she's one of those people who like loves Downton Abbey and loves every BBC costume mm. drama that's out. She binge watched Victoria a few weeks ago. Um, and she is always playing like little really basic mobile games on her phone and I told her this existed mm. and it was like I opened a toy box she couldn't believe that there was a story like this that she could have control over where the UI was so easy to interact with and it was on the same piece of technology where she was you know like doing crossword puzzles all day long um, that's so amazing yeah so uh, that to me is really powerful <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Shout out to fellow Australian Samantha Lynn that wrote that game. Thank <laughs> Us you. Australians Thank know you for what's doing up. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's an amazing game. Yeah. So, um, so that's one that's really, really high on my list right now. Um, and more people should play it. Um, and then, yeah, I guess other Australian game that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Florence, is 
stunning. Mm. I oh, beautiful. I cried. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> cried. Me too. Yeah. And I play tested it. Oh I played an early adult and I and I and I cried then. Yeah. And then I and I played it on launch and then cried more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so good. So beautiful. Well, Emily, we're running out of time, but where can folks find you on the internet? How can they keep in touch and pester you with comments and questions <laughs> from the episode? Yeah, absolutely. So the best place to find me is on Twitter. My handle is Emily Buckshot. Just my name shot on the end of it. Like <laughs> small pieces of bullets um, and I'm usually pretty friendly to people I love answering questions about games and talking shop so if you're interested reach out that is beautiful and thank you so much for your time today Emily yeah, it's always great to to get to rant with you and this is a topic that's just very near and dear to our hearts so I really appreciate it thank you so much yeah my pleasure And thank you so much to the listeners. As always, keep in touch. Twitter is the best place for us as well. So at LoveGamesCast. We can't wait to hear what you think of the episode and we'll chat to you again soon. Bye. Bye.